You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Enjoy local voices. Enjoy local opinions. All on one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast DC is the new local app with hundreds of DC area podcasts. Featuring some of the DC area's best personalities, pundits, and provocateurs. Earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts you love instantly. With new programs being added every week, don't hesitate. Download Podcast DC now for free. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Podcast DC. Listen local. Say It Loud Network presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. Yolanda Yvette Adams, American gospel star, a record producer, actress, and host of her own nationally syndicated radio show. She sold nearly 10 million albums worldwide. But not only that, five Grammys, four Dove Awards, five BET Awards, six NAACP Image Awards, six Soul Train Music Awards, two BMI awards, and for those who understand gospel, 16 stellar awards. Yolanda Adams is a true American treasure. Hey, Yolanda, thanks so much for joining me today. Oh, come on, man. You know how much I love you. It's like (laughs) brother and sister. Yay, let's do this. That's right. And the feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. So let's, uh, wow, we don't have a lot of time, uh, but there's so much. I know you, but I want my listeners to know you. So I want to go back a little bit, Yolanda, because um, everyone knows you where you are now. International, best-selling, recording artist, actress, producer, you name it. But you are also the living embodiment of H-Town, Houston. You know, that's right. Raised in Houston, went to school in Houston. Uh, What I didn't know, actually, after all these years of us knowing each other, was that you are the eldest of six siblings? Eldest of six siblings. Yes, I am. (laughs) That's why I'm so bossy. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. (laughs) What was that like? Oh, man, you know, I I have a different take on being the eldest of six kids because I enjoyed it. I enjoyed helping mom. I enjoyed helping dad. You know, I I enjoyed helping my siblings navigate things. And I, I, I think that's where the leadership comes from, you know, when you're given that task at that young age, mm-hmm. you know, to corral your family, hey, go get them and, you know, <laughs> hey, cook this for uh, dinner. I'll be home later. You know, I and, and I actually enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I love my siblings and um, and and we have a wonderful time with each other. So I guess I did a good job helping mom and dad <laughs> and everybody. But uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. I was driving folks to uh, Little League and cheerleading practice and all of that. Anytime I hear like beyond three or four kids with parents, I always think about logistics. Like, how do you move around with that many people? I mean, you 
Can you off? You have a van. How does someone logistically handle life like that? Well, when when we're little, you know, there's a station wagon. So there are two cars in the family. There's the station wagon that my mom had with all of us. And then my dad had the cool car. He had <laughs> he had the ragtop Impala, if you right. guys understand what we're talking about. That's right. And uh, so that's how you navigate. And then, of course, when I become a, a driving age, then there's a third car that's added to the family. And so I take the station wagon. My mom takes my car especially if it's during a time when she's doing something like parent teachers meetings, things like that. She was an instructor, a reading specialist and a science specialist. So, you know, there were days when it was on me. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm driving this powder blue Oldsmobile station wagon to and from Little League, to and from uh, cheerleading, all of that. But you know what? I think that's what made me a good driver. <laughs> Absolutely. You got it in real early. You got in early. Y Yolanda, would you say you come from a middle class background? Describe to me what your social class was at the time. What was it like? Was it a struggle? Was it middle class? What was it? Well, I think we were more uh, median middle class. You know, we weren't like upper middle class about to be rich, rich, but we never, it wasn't like a struggle. You know, we weren't, we weren't the family that was on assistance or anything like, not that there's anything wrong with assistance because I mean, the whole world needs assistance right now. That's right. But we, we just, my, my dad was a coach. And he coached all sports. His love was football and track, though. Uh -huh. And my mom was an educator. And she and being a reading and science specialist, you know, she had more. She uh, made more than, you know, your regular yes. teachers. Yeah. And so we really didn't struggle. And my thing always was as the oldest, I love designing. So that's mm. why the clothing line is appropriate because uh -huh. I was making my clothes. I was what? Five, eight in sixth grade and seventh grade. And then I shot up to six, one in eighth grade. And so eighth grade to now, you know, so trying to find, come on now in the seventies, trying to find clothes that would fit a tall, reed thin girl was, I mean, next to impossible with a 36 inch inseam. Come on now. And so the only place I could get my jeans, thank God for Levi's, uh -huh. I could go to uh, the, the Levi shop and get the men's. 36 inch inseam, 28. And then wow. I would still have to take it in in the waist because, sure. you know, jeans right. for guys are more boxed right. and <laughs> jeans for girls are more, you know, curvy. Right. And I'm like, oh my gosh, but the curvies would never, were never long enough. So, right. yeah. Wow. Wow. So, you know, you talk about uh, your dad being a coach. Uh, you talk about your mom being an educator. And what a lot of people don't know is that, um, when you started off, you were teaching also yes. and also a part-time model. We can understand the modeling part, but uh, but you also were a teacher. How was that like, and how did you even get into that? Well, uh, I, I was modeling when I was a teenager, doing doing local shows, had mm. the opportunity to do more like in uh, overseas, but because my dad had had an accident and was killed uh, as a result of that, uh, mm. I, I stayed, helped mom, you know, with all mm -hmm. of that. Now, my first degree is in radio TV journalism. Okay. I had an internship at our CBS affiliate and I was like, yay, I got a job. So that weekend I went out and got me a candy apple, tea topped 
Firebird. And then Monday, listen, when, and then Monday when I got to work, they fired all of us. Oh, no. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after being fired, you know, reality sets in. How you going to pay this $350 car note, honey? And uh, my aunt who taught school in our HISD district, she uh -huh. said, well, we have uh, long-term sub positions. We have, you know, all of these positions. You're in the middle of the year. So just come on over and we can uh, sign you up. You have a degree. You're very learned. So let's do that. And then I taught for like six months and I'm like, I really like these kids, man. They're so amazing. And, you know, coming from the oldest of six, you knew, you know, you know how to yep. navigate that and you know how to handle behavior problems and things mm -hmm. like that. So now I'm, I, I'm an adult doing that. <laughs> and I said, you know, I talked to the principal. I said, I really, really enjoyed this six months. She said, well, we have an opening, but you have to go back and you have to get your certification. Mm -hmm. So that summer I signed up to get my certification. That next year, I went long-term sub again until I finished everything. And my instructor, I will never forget, Dr. Cherry, she said, well, you you might as well get your education degree. You have all the, uh, you know, all, all the basics the and stuff. yeah. Yeah, she's like, you, you're only 30, uh, 30 credits away. I'm like, oh, I can knock that out. So did that, taught second and third grade all subjects for seven years before wow. the music actually like took off where I was like, hey, I can't get back to school. Now that you segue to the music. So did you grow up singing? Were yes. your was your family in church? Give me the genesis of that and then how you parlayed that while you're teaching. Yeah, I was almost born on the piano bench. Okay. <laughs> my mom was our minister of music at our church. My dad was a trustee and a deacon. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I grew up in church. I absolutely love, I love the whole aesthetic. I love the whole spiritual thing. I, I, I just love church. So I grew up there singing, but the professional singing didn't start until I joined a choir that was traveling. And that was, I went, what was I, I like? I was like 13. And so some of your viewers and your listeners will know the song, My Liberty, which mm -hmm. came out in 1980, that mm -hmm. just blew everything away. And that really started my professional career uh, because I'm recognized for that song with the choir. How and I was, how old was I? 17, 18? Yeah, wow. I, wow. I, I was 18. Yeah, 18. So between high school, <laughs> well, no, at 17, I was getting ready to go to college. Yeah, I was still in high school and then graduating that year. So uh, between high school, singing with that choir and, you know, church and everything, the music has always been a part of my my life. Mm -hmm. I've always uh, sang in choirs, of course, mm -hmm. starting with the Pee Wee Choir sure. and uh, the Junior Choir, then the Professional Choir. Uh -huh. And then from there, Thomas Whitfield, a master producer, heard me and wanted to do a solo project on me. And that was in 19, what was it, 1980, 82, 83, okay. what, whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> no, the, the album came out in 87. And I okay. think we we started talks like in uh, 86. OK. And that started the solo career. And so I stopped singing with the choir, started the solo career. Now, mind you, I'm still teaching 
Wow. At this time. Wow. And and the music is going so well, you know, that it's like, uh, ma'am, you you gonna have to make a decision in a minute. And I'm like, oh, but I have two paychecks. You know how it is. That's you right, know that's how, right. we, how we reason. That's oh, right. I got two paychecks coming. I, I can work during the week. And then on the weekends, I can do what I absolutely love. And then I have my summers off. I can travel the whole summer. Oh, I got the right. best of both worlds. So, right, and right. then all of a sudden, that music world was like, oh, we can trump all of this if you let us. Wow. Wow. When you were when you were singing back with the choirs, did you ever have any desire to be a solo artist? Did you think that was going to happen or were you just enjoying being part of the group? I was just enjoying being a part of the group. You know, I was used to being a part of a, a group, you know, my family. Right. That's right. <laughs> and then, you know, my family can sing, but they don't sing. And so, you know, coming from that church background, there's so many people around you who can just blow mm. folks out of the water. And so I never thought, you know, I never thought, oh, I'm going to be that one. I'm just, I just enjoyed it. And it wasn't until I started doing things outside of the choir that I was like, wow, this is way cool. And then the solo project happened and I'm like, oh, this is way cooler. <laughs> you know, Yolanda, I, it's interesting because I grew up in the church also. And there's something about even as a young boy and young boys are excited about church. But when you said about the church aesthetic and the environment, I also felt very comforted. I would go with my grandmother and sit on the bench next to her. And but there was something about the rhythm of church. We knew when what was going to happen, how the flow of things was. And even though as a young boy, I didn't understand most of it. It was comforting to me because it was familiar to me. Right. And one thing that I always enjoyed, no matter what was I couldn't wait for the part of the service when the songs came, because to me, that was fun. And I'm not a singer, but listening to some of the old Negro spirituals Mm -hmm. um, and and the different takes on it. And so when you say that, it resonates with me. And I think about all of the very famous mainstream pop artists who really started in the church. You talk about Patti LaBelle, Mm -hmm. Whitney Houston, Jennifer Hudson, all these people starting the church. What is it about starting in the church that gives people a great preparation and platform to be big singers, you know, uh, worldwide. What is it? I think you said the perfect word preparation and, and church didn't just give it to those of us who sing. It gave Mm. it to the orators. It gave it to, you know, speech writers, you know, um, Tyler Perry says it all the time. He got his greatest lessons in direct from what he saw in church. That's so right. it, it is. it was one of those amazing springboards. And I think it still is, you know, the times are just changing. We have to be able to uh, make sure that we're servicing people the way they need to be serviced. Yes. And I think that when you are an eight-year-old child, you're given the mic and it is your time to either speak or uh, sing Mm-hmm. You know, you realize and, I, and and even in your little eight year old mind, you realize, hey, all the attention is on me. I have to do a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. you don't yeah. think, oh, I'm just going to sing because, you know, my mama made me sing. You don't mm-hmm. think that. And mm-hmm. there was a protocol and there was a level of excellence that you always try to strive for in your presentation, even as young as eight years old. And then wow. as you develop. 
One of the things that I love about the church is the encouragement that you get. As you develop, you learn which notes to hit. You learn when to go high. You learn when to tell the story. You learn when to bring it down so people can feel that whisper of God in their hearts. You learn all of those things and you can't learn that. And, And no disrespect to any of the competitions or whatever, you know, you have to learn that over time. You've got to do the work. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's interesting you say that because when you talk about uh, oratorical skills, uh, you're right. Uh, some of the greatest orators uh, have been preachers. Uh, and, you know, you really get kind of your lessons about how to deliver a message. Because think about it. You know, a lot of it also is showmanship, right? It's about, you know, how do you communicate with people that entertains them but also informs them, right? And they want to come back for more. And you think about some of the great preachers. I mean, Martin Luther King, for example, right. you know, was a great orator. He started in the church. Um, what I find interesting with your career is that here you are, you grow up in Houston, you have a nice, solid upbringing. Both parents are home, brothers and sisters. You're educated, you're smart, you're modeling, you're, uh, you're singing. Give me that moment when you realized as a younger Yolanda Adams that, you know what, I could be really great at this. I think, I don't think the conversation I could be really great at this was so much in me. I think the conversation of, man, I can actually change the world with what I have. Mm. Because I've never tried to be anybody else. I had some great uh, mentors, you know, Shirley Caesar, mm-hmm. Albertina Walker, Tremaine mm-hmm. Hawkins, Daryl mm-hmm. Coley, James Cleveland was the first mm-hmm. person that yes. sa- that pointed me out of the choir and said, that girl is going to be a star. The James, the James Cleveland. The James the Cleveland. Oh, my yes. goodness. My grandmother yes. loved James Cleveland. She loved Oh, my him. gosh. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm young and I'm like, oh, my God, he said that about me. I found out when I was 25 years old from Donald Vales that he would have conversations with his group of ministers mm-hmm. and he would point out all of the things that he that he thought were great in my voice and how I delivered it. So mm-hmm. I didn't really I didn't really think that, oh, it's going to be great and I'm going to do this. I knew by the responses that I got from people that. Mm-hmm. The way I did what I did changed their hearts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you can, and if you can mm-hmm. hone in on your gift mm-hmm. and not think about anything else but changing the hearts of people, mm-hmm. which is why radio is so important to me. You mm-hmm. know, I know that if there's an issue and I can get people to understand the facts, not Yolanda's opinion. But the facts of everything, then they can make an educated decision and then entertain them at the same time. Like you said, you have to hold people's attention. And if you cannot hold people's attention in this uh, day and age, they have four million places to go. That's right. That's right. That's exactly That's why your podcast is so important, because you inform us on all things, life, Mm -hmm. medicine, family, all mm-hmm. of those things. So you're the perfect package when it comes to that. And mm-hmm. so that was my thing. Let me learn, sit down and learn how the greats change hearts. Mm-hmm. So, of course, 
your Natalie Coles, that's right. your that's right. Nancy Wilsons, that's your right. Aretha Franklins, that's your right. Patti LaBelle's. I, I honed in on all of the specifics that made them great and how they stayed in their own lanes mm-hmm. and remained who they were. Because I never wanted to be a person who you have uh, two number one hits in 1995. Right. And here we are in 2021 and you're like, okay, well, what's happening? No, I wanted that longevity. That's like right. they had. And so right. I sat down and I learned from them. Well, see, let's now, now see. This is the this is the point I try to make all the time. Number one, you have to put in the work. Yes. And putting in the work is sometimes not glamorous. It's sometimes not fun. It takes time. But you sat there and said, this is what I want. This is my vision. And this is what I need. I need to study the greats to see how they did it. Not that I'm going to do it the same way. But what was it that they did that made them great? so that I can be who I am, right? I mean, and this is what young people, I try to, and not just young people, anyone who wants to be successful in life, I try to say, you gotta put in the work and you have to believe in yourself, right? And I learned that at an early age. Like I said, my dad was a coach, but before he was a coach and before he did all his uh, amazing educational stuff, he was a track star. Mm -hmm. So there's still trophies at Texas Southern University with my dad's name on them. My dad is in the Drake Relays Hall of Fame. So I come from a lineage of hard work. Yeah. And so with a dad who is a a track star and a coach, you already know we were out there on the track, whether we ran track or not, because track is about endurance. And every day, whether you felt like it or not, and these are the lessons that I look at now and I'm like, man, my dad was teaching us about life. Whether you feel like it or not, you got to get up and start your day. You have mm-hmm. no right, especially if you have breath in your body and your limbs work, you have no right to sit and have a pity party when somebody else only has one leg, one arm, and they're out doing and, and doing what they do. Uh-uh. And so we would, my, my dad would make us all run a mile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were young. We just, you know, and I'm, I was a dad's girl. Oh, my gosh. Come on now. So, you know, I'm trying to impress him. I did a mile and a half. That's right. And so. <laughs> so. The, the, but the thing was getting us in the mindset mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. knowing that nothing is going to be easy and that if you endure, not only will life pay you in uh, revenue, but life will pay you in joy. Mm. So I learned so many things from, you know, hanging out with my dad, you know, mowing Mm. the lawn with him and stuff. Mm. And there are always lessons that you learn. And I tell young people who are artists, especially artists right now, I tell them when you are in the room with people who have done what you want to do or doing what you want to do, do more listening than you do talking. I got to tell you, Yolanda, you, geez, I feel like, I feel like you're talking about my life. I, as a young person, I always love talking to older people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could have been also the church part of it. I was around older people a lot in church. Uh, and I was in the choir and stuff and doing, you know, the Sunday plays, afternoon plays. But I love talking to older people because I always felt like, well, geez, they're older, which means they've had all this experience. Why don't I listen to them and see kind of, what they would have done differently, what worked for them, or or if they had to do it all over again, like how would they do it? Because I always felt like if I could get those nuggets of wisdom from them, it would help me navigate my course in life. And when you say sometimes you have to do more listening than talking, 
I think listening is a lost art. Oh, that's good. That's right. Good. I mean, because, I, because everyone wants to kind of, well, this is my opinion. This is what I think. But how about sit back and listen to someone and hear what they're really saying and what they're really telling you. I tell my kids all the time, I say, you know, almost everything you do is really a lesson in it. There's mm -hmm. a lesson in it. When you said that your dad said, no matter what, so you got to get up. I, I'm a sports person. I'm a sports junkie, always been an avid sportsman. Uh, sports are mandatory in my house because, not that because I want my kids to be professional athletes, if they are, great. That's not the point. The point is that sports uh, teaches you so much about life and how mm -hmm. to succeed, right? It teaches you about mm -hmm. dedication. It teaches you how to fail, how to get back up how to get ready for the next match, how to work on things. I think that there's so much we draw from those experiences that really, as you say, as you get older, you look back and say, geez, this is where I got it from. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know, there's, there's an art to listening and you have to develop that. Mm. Case in point, uh, let's use, uh, let's, let's use a, a, a melodic kind of example. A person can take uh, pots and pans mm -hmm. and some drumsticks and make a beat, but it takes a person like a Sheila E to get on some bungos or a drum set and make it sound so good, you'll think that she's playing another instrument. <laughs> but there's an art to listening Mm -hmm. Because to the untrained person, although you can get a beat on those pots and pans, if you try to put those pots and pans into an orchestra, that's mm. not going to work. Mm. Mm. You get the you you get the beat. You get yes, you know. Oh, all right, all right, all right. That's why we love street guys who do that on those that's things. Right. We, that's right. We love that's that. It. You know, the we'll give him twenty dollars. That's right. But <laughs> we can't take him to the Metropolitan Opera and tell him to play behind. Uh, Miss Fleming, who's about to do her aria. Yes, yes, yes. But we can take Sheila E. That's right. To the Metropolitan Opera and have her play behind Miss Renee Fleming. And there's a there's a a movement. There's a there, there's a synchronicity that happens. Yes. Now yes. we have to develop the art of of listening. Hearing is you know listening and hearing are two different things. Because you can say something and I hear you, but my heart doesn't listen. And that's why we try to tell our kids, hey, listen to me carefully. Do this, 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 and that in this order. Mm -hmm. Now, one year kids will do it in that order. Mm -hmm. Another kid, he heard what you said, <laughs> but, because, <laughs> but because he did not listen, he went around the other way and did what he thought was proper and stuff like this. So... It's the same with life. And that's why we keep ha we have to keep doing some of the things over and over again, because although we heard it, we didn't listen. Guess who listened? Taylor listened. Yes. Your yes. daughter Taylor listened. I remember Taylor. The first time I met Taylor was at the, I think it was the Stella Awards. And she was very small at the time. But I even said to you then, there's something special about her. Mm -hmm. Um she was very graceful. She she was precocious. Mm -hmm. Even then, um, she was calm. She was comfortable, even though it was all this stuff happening. Mm -hmm. But and I've always admired you as a single parent raising Taylor um, and what Taylor has become as a young woman. That mm -hmm. to me, you have all kinds of awards, by the way. I'm not going to go. You have more awards. It would take me an hour <laughs> just to talk about your awards. 
But that to me is your biggest award. It's Taylor. Without a doubt. Because when God trusts you, and you know this as a parent, when God trusts you with this beautiful life before you, with anything, you have choices. Mm. She could have been at home with my mom and a nanny, Mm -hmm. but I knew that I wanted her not only to see what I do, experience what I do, I wanted her to experience the world. Mm -hmm. How can I say that I'm teaching the world to be kinder and better and my child is at home learning the lessons probably from my mom or my grandmother or the nanny or whatever, Mm -hmm. but the best teacher is me. Mm-hmm. for her mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. if she sees me doing it then mm-hmm. she knows it's possible and then if she sees me uh, treating people kindly and especially in our industry uh, with so many people who think that they're privileged and above the folks that are working you know alongside of them then she'll know oh no 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 that's the way that they do it but here's the way mom does it mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And when she was in, I think she was in sixth grade, she wrote a poem, which uh, her teacher got published and it's in the Library of Congress. <laughs> she wrote a poem called The Things You're Teaching Me. Man, when I tell you, and I am trying not to uh, cry right now, mm-hmm. but she said, other people tell me to, lo- to love, but you show me how. Mm. Other people say to be kind, but I've never seen you unkind. Man, mm. listen, mm. I'm, I'm going to text that to you so you Please. can read it Please. because it came from and I have it all over the house in different places, you know, to remind me that my life has been an example to her sure. as how to, you know, how to navigate this thing. Sure. And. Sure. There are times when we have had these things where I'm like, hey, listen, you can't go there right now Mm -hmm. because I don't feel comfortable with you being away from me right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then she'll come back and say, mom, uh, so-and-so's brother had a car accident with them in the car. And I'm like, see, that's the kind of stuff Mm-hmm. That God tells mommy without telling you. So that's why you got to <laughs> listen to mommy, you know? And so I'm, I'm just grateful, you know? Yeah. yeah. You know, it's interesting because to have that come from a, a, a sixth grader um, is, and to have that kind of insight. I told you she was very precocious when I met her. You know, Yolanda, I, I just want to say this to you. And these numbers may be wrong, but I just want the listeners to at least get a taste of this. 10 million albums sold, five Grammy Awards, four Dove Awards, five BET Awards, six NAACP Image Awards, six Soul Train Music Awards, two BMI Awards, six, 16 Stellar Awards, which are the biggest, they're the Oscars for gospel uh, singers, and the first gospel artist to be awarded an American Music Award. Now, with all those accolades, and I've been in the entertainment industry in some way for a long time also, not as a singer, but, you know, we're all kind of under one big tent. And I have to say, of all the people I've met, great artists, great awards, you are the most authentic, kindest, and real celebrity that I have had the pleasure of being on your show and interacting with you. You're just, you are who you are. And I think that that's a testament 
to why your your craft is so good and why you move people so well because you're coming from a, your heart you're coming from a real place i think we all should come from a real place even if your real place is a place of hurt a place of you know uh despair be honest about that so people like me can help you get through that the one thing is you know i never want people to stay in a sad place or in despair for longer because that turns into depression that's right and we 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 know where all of that goes but i again i had the greatest and i thank god for this every day the greatest set of parents the greatest set of grandparents the mm-hmm. greatest uh community around Mm -hmm. me. And Mm -hmm. I thank God for every single part of my life, even the bad parts. Mm. See, people want life to happen without trial. People want life to happen without adversity. That's the, again, my dad taught, taught me about track because there were times when my muscles ached. Mm-hmm. And instead of uh, saying, well, I can't run today because my muscles ache, my dad said, hey, you, you can't run as fast, but you're going to run. Oh, jeez. <laughs> you're going to run. So good. It's so and good. So, <laughs> so, and so I developed this thing of I don't have the choice or I, I don't have the privilege of giving up. Mm-hmm. I developed that as a kid. Mm-hmm. So if I developed that as a kid, I knew that if something hit me that wasn't pleasant and, and my dad told me, my mom told me in life, you will not always get what you want. Oh, in life, you will not always get what you want. But here's the thing. God will always give you what you need. I'm going to make my kids listen to this, listen to this interview, this conversation. Oh, that's so because, cool. <laughs> because, no, no, no. What you're saying, you know, sometimes your kids love you, but sometimes, and your family members too, because it's coming from you, yeah. they're like, oh. But sometimes when other people say it, even though yeah. you've said it a hundred times, they can hear you say it once and then it registers for them. So I'm going to make them... Listen, for sure. Yolanda, people look at you. You just opened up for the Super Bowl. You've been on the biggest stages. Every time you get on a stage, even with even though there are other singers, there's a light that shines on you. It's your your serenity. It's your your presentation. You're always classy. Your voice obviously just is crazy. But there's something about you that and I was watching the other day. Um, I was on a, a YouTube thread watching some of your performances at like award shows and stuff like that where you had other singers. But I always know like when you step to the fore or the mic is handed off to you, it's a foregone conclusion that you are going to absolutely blow it away. So my question to you is, at this stage in your career, do you ever get nervous before you have these big performances? To be honest with you, Ian, I've never gotten nervous at the moment because there's work to be done. And Mm. everyone who knows how the voice and the muscles work, you definitely do because you know the anatomy. If you are nervous, that means your muscles are constricting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I can't get nervous at the moment because I need those vocal cords to do that. (laughs) And they have to be relaxed. And that's where you hear the squeaking and all of that kind of stuff from people. I get nervous after, you know, we've taped it 
And then I'm at the hotel because there's always a two or three hour delay. Right. I'm at the hotel watching it and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, we are our biggest critics. That's right. And so I'm always, you know, and you and I have discussed this before. I'm always like, oh my God, I needed five pounds off or something <laughs> like that. You're like, oh, shut up. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. But no, you really think about it. And, you know, when I watched you at the Super Bowl, I couldn't help but think because, you know, my, I get nervous for my friends. I do yeah. when they're yeah. performing. You know, Michael Strahan and went to TSU also, by the yes. way, a fellow hey. alum. I can barely watch him on Good Morning America because, you know, so I'm sitting there saying, oh, my goodness, like she is playing to like over a billion people right now who are watching this live and will watch it later. Um I would just say, God, just let her do what she does. She knows what to do. She always does it. And of course, you know, the nervousness on my part was completely unnecessary because you absolutely killed it. But what I want to know from you before we get to the end here is when you think about success, people look at you and say, wow, this is a really successful woman, not just a singer, but a woman. How do you define success and what is success meant to you? Success to me means being able to do a thing on my terms. Mm. Mm. Because, mm. I mean, I could have done so many things in my life. I've had opportunities to do a whole lot of things, but it, it wouldn't have made me happy in the moment. It would have satisf satisfied the curiosity of executives and, you know, mm -hmm. folks who were doing what they do to get more money. And, you know, mm -hmm. oh, you're 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 marketable. You're this you have. You don't have this. And, you know, this is and that. Oh, my gosh, you're perfect. You're perfect. You're perfect. <laughs> and and I thought about it and I'm like, that will not make me happy. And I know if it doesn't make me happy, I'm not going to do my best. Now, I'm going to do great, sure. but to me, in my mind, it would never be my best. Mm -hmm. Success is not the awards. That's just, you know, it's ancillary. Nice. Yeah, yeah, of course. Nice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to say for the rest of my life, I'm a Grammy winner. Oh, yes. come on now. Whether yeah. I win another one ever again, That's I right. can say that, you know. That's right. Uh, but... Success is being able to navigate life on your own terms in conjunction with like-minded people. Mm. Wow. You know, it's interesting you say that because uh, one of the legendary music executives, Kevin Lyles, said to me. Love him. That's, yeah. Kevin said success for him was, do, I'm paraphrasing, doing what you want with whom you want. When you want to do when it. When you want to. Yeah. When you want to there do you it. Go. That's that, you know, so um, I'm going to do it with the last part of my conversation is called the random seven, where okay. I ask you seven random questions and you give really quick answers. Okay. And I just listen. But before I go to the random seven, I want to read this to you because this meant a lot to me personally. Okay. Okay. Alone in a room. Mm. It's just me and you. I feel so lost because I don't know what to do. Now, what if, I choose the wrong thing to do. I'm so afraid, afraid of disappointing you. So I need to talk to you and ask you for your guidance, especially today when my life is so cloudy. Guide me until I'm sure I open up my heart. Alone in a room, it's just me and you. 
so lost Cause I don't know what to do Now what if I choose The wrong thing to do I'm so afraid Afraid of disappointing you So I need to talk to you And ask you for your guidance Especially today When my life is so cloudy Guide me until I'm sure I open my heart Oh yeah Yeah So I was in a gym and I downloaded your song and I texted you and said to you, Yolanda, you are singing to me right now. The beauty of lyrics. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to I'm not trying to knock modern artists, but the people forget the beauty of the lyric of the word. Yeah, you got all these machines that create the different sounds and blah, blah, blah in the studio. But nothing can replace the beauty of the word. Right. Yes. And the meaning of the word. And so I want to encourage um, anyone I don't care what genre of music you like, because I always believe if you love music, yeah. it's not about the genre. It's not about the genre. It's not the genre. You yeah. love music. I listen to rock, soft rock. Mm-hmm. I listen to reggae. I listen to hip hop. Me too. Gospel. Me but too. I want, I want people to download and listen to Yolanda's song, Open My Heart, mm-hmm. which I play many, 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 many times a month because no matter how many times I've heard it, it does something like you say, how it moves people. It really moves my heart when I hear this song. And it, it gives me strength. It makes me, if I'm having a down day, it makes me feel better. It gives me optimism. Um, so I just want to, before I go into my random seven, I just want to thank you personally for this no song. Yeah. And one day, you know, I have this dream, right? I have this dream that one day <laughs> I'm going to invite 100, 200 of my closest friends. <laughs> and I'm going to invite the recording artist who I love. This is yeah. if I get rich one day, if I get rich, and I'm gonna <laughs> have all the singers I love sing just one or two of my favorite songs mm-hmm. for all of us to celebrate together. Yeah, and you are on the top of my list to sing this song <laughs> to us. Which all right, great. all right, the world just heard you. That's I right. better be invited. <laughs> you, you will be. You will be. Okay, here we go. Here are the all random right. seven. Here are the random seven. Here we go. Which person or celebrity? Did you always have a crush on and why? Oh, person, celebrity I had a crush on. Oh, a crush on. Jermaine Jackson was my first crush. <laughs> Jermaine Jackson, I was, we went to, and, and it's no longer there anymore. We went to the Sam Houston Coliseum to see mm-hmm. the Jackson 5. We're not talking about the Jacksons, so you already know how old I was. Everybody's like, Michael, Michael, Michael. And I'm like, Jermaine Jackson is beautiful. Look at that big afro. And then he's playing that guitar. And, you know, and, and that was my that was my crush. And it, from the stage, he looked tall. So, you know, if you weren't a recording artist and you couldn't be a teacher, what would be your dream job? Oh, dream job. Fashion designer. Fashion Very designer. Nice. Very nice. What do you own that's really expensive but you don't feel guilty about my car. Is it the white car? Yeah. Can we say what it is? Yeah, you can say it. 
Okay, the Rolls Royce. Yes, <laughs> I love that car. I, you know, you know, I can't. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm not supposed to interrupt your random seven. I apologize. It's I okay. I came out of the studio one time and I was like, "Whose car is that?" Because I'm a car guy. <laughs> yes. Like, yes, that's a bag of someone. And the, my guy said, "Oh yes, Lana's car." I'm like, "Go ahead, Yolanda. I, I see you on that. I see you on that." Okay. Um, my dream car. I love that car. Yeah. Um, I want the Bentley Continental GT, but anyway, that's another conversation. Ah, yes. I want one of those. Okay. Who would you like to have a long dinner with who you haven't met and why? I haven't met. You stumped me because everybody that I want to have dinner with, you know, I I can call and say, hey, let's have dinner. But who? Maybe there's a, maybe there's a politician, there's an actor, there's a professor, there's. I would, I would, you know what? Desmond Tutu. I would mm-hmm. love to just sit and and just hear his, you know, because first of all, we're connected by Africa. There's so much that he's seen and mm. done and changed that I would just want I just want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. He was a Desmond Tutu was one of those guys when I was growing up in college. I wasn't exactly I didn't get my political legs until a little bit towards later part of college, but mm-hmm. even then when I was mostly into sports and science and math, I knew who Desmond Tutu was and was proud that uh, that Bishop Tutu was this guy from Africa. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that he was he was so good at what he did. And he was oh my God. He was, right. He was such an example. So um, I, that's a, I've never gotten that answer. That's a great answer. What really makes Yolanda Adams angry? Mean people, mean people. Oh, man, you because mean is a choice. Angry is when you're being, you know, uh, teased or something like that. You know, that's that's reactionary. Mean is a development. You have developed that type of character. Ah, that mean people. Oh, as you can see, my, you know, this thing right here in my (laughs) my nose starts crinkling (laughs) off. (laughs) Your face gives it away. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Number six. What song, if you say? I want to hear a song. I just want to hear something to, to get me going. What song can you always turn to? Wow, that's hard because, you know, about 15 songs are going in my head right oh, just now. Can... Just one. Uh, or the artist who won't let you down. Stevie Wonder never lets me down. The entire Songs to the Key of Life yeah. double album never yeah. lets me down. Okay. You know, I love the song where he says, I'm singing of tomorrow. I'm singing, you know, I, I love that. I'm singing of love. I'm singing someday sweet love will reign throughout this world of ours. I am singing of love from my heart. Let's start singing a song of love from my heart. It starts off with him singing African and then he goes into Spanish and then he just starts, you know, talking about let's all sing someday sweet love will reign throughout this world of ours. Let's start singing of love from our hearts. I love that. Last question. When someone comes across an article written about you a hundred years from now, what do you want that article to say about you? Wow. I want the article to say that Yolanda was a person who loved everyone, who treated everyone with respect and wanted more than anything to show how cool God Mm. is. 
Yolanda Adams, thank you for having this conversation with me. Oh, come on. Anytime. I love you, Dr. Ian. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer Lauren Turner, executive producer Ian Smith, edited by Ken Johnson, executive producers Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.